The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 373. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And of course... You get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses, which I've got one coming out this week. So you're going to want to be a McClanahan Academy subscriber. You get that free class anyways. And you're going to get a good coupon on the next course, which is my third part of my Southern Cultural Intellectual History course. And it is really good. There's a lot of good stuff in it. So you're going to want it. You can also support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can get a book plate if you want my autograph of one of my books, my newest book, Southern Scribblings. It's out. You want it. Get your autograph on it. Just get one of those book plates and buy the book as well. As long as you have one of my other books, you can get another book plate for those two. So I've got a lot of books, got a lot of classes to sell. You can click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. This is how we keep this podcast free of charge. All those things that I have for you to purchase if you like this show. You help keep it going by purchasing a McClanahan Academy class or a t-shirt or a book. Those are things you can do to help keep it going or just by simply giving a monthly donation. That would be great too. You can also go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. It's my affiliate link for Tom Wizzleby Classroom. I teach there with Tom and a lot of other great instructors. So when you buy a membership there through that affiliate link, I get a little bit of money too. So that also keeps this podcast free of charge. And always share the podcast around on social media, rate it wherever you get your podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's how we grow the movement. And as always, send me your show requests, whatever you want me to talk about. Uh, I may talk about it, may not talk about it, but I do appreciate the input. All right. Well, if you haven't been watching, we've got the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings underway in the Senate. And as always, it's political theater. I mean, look, it's a foregone conclusion that Barrett is going to be confirmed by the Senate. It's going to be a close vote, maybe 51-49. Who knows what it's going to be, but it's going to be very close. And uh, I think that uh, the Democrats are losing their minds right now because they know that we can't block it. I mean, it was funny when Nancy Pelosi said, we're going to do everything we can to block it. They can't do anything. Now you've got the Democrats running around saying this is court packing, which it isn't. You've got Joe Biden saying this is unconstitutional, which it isn't. I mean, all this stuff is just stupid. They are trying to pull out every single term they can think of to dupe their idiotic voters that all this is happening. That it's somehow unconstitutional court packing. I mean, Kamala Harris started this at the VP debate saying, let me tell you about court packing in her very annoying voice. Um, And the fact is, it's not court packing. There's no court packing going on whatsoever. This is all uh, legal above the board. The Senate has an obligation that Trump was not elected for three and a half years, but four years. And in that time, he can nominate anyone he wants for a Supreme Court position. The Senate can confirm them. I mean, this is what happens. It doesn't matter what the voters vote for the next time. We can say this is, well, that's, that's wrong. 
But probably the most important, and I've talked about this already, the most important Supreme Court justice in the history of the United States was nominated in this fashion. That's John Marshall. Look, Jefferson had been elected. The Republicans were taking over the Congress in 1801, and yet John Marshall was nominated and confirmed before the Republicans could block it. And he had a large impact on the future direction of the United States. So, what I want to talk about with Amy Coney Barrett, though, is something that was brought up today when I was watching the confirmation hearings. And it was a question posed to her. It was asked by uh, one of the I think one of the senators from Texas, Corwin, I think, asked it. He said, uh, Judge, can you tell me what the difference between the legislative branch and the judicial branch is when it comes to law, when it comes to a bill? Can you tell me the difference? And her response was interesting. And it's interesting because this is the distorted nature that we've come to when it comes to the court and the Congress and how far we've gone from the founding conception of what the Congress should be doing when they actually discuss a bill. And this actually gets to some of the things, some of the, the, the issues that I want to talk about. Because I think deep down inside, the Democrats are concerned because they know that the legislation they are defending, whether it's the ACA, Obamacare, uh, whether it's potential gun control legislation, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, you know Roe v. Wade, whatever their preferred cause may be, they know that deep down inside, all of those bills, if they had to be honest, are unconstitutional. But see, they don't care about that, and that's why I want to get into what Barrett said when she was asked about this particular position. Now, let me tell you something. She's polished. She's really good. Her demeanor is cool. You look at the Kavanaugh hearings and how rattled he was the whole time, and this is why... And, of course, the attacks being made against Kavanaugh were of a personal nature, and they were vicious in a way that was embarrassing for the Democrats. And I think this is one of the reasons why so many people uh, wanted to boot these fools out. But the fact is, Barrett is so different. I mean, she is cool under fire. She sits and takes whatever they have to say. She is a very good nominee in that way. And I think this is something that, you know, the, the Democrats can't really attack her personally. They tried They tried initially, and it all just fell flat. They're talking about, oh, she's wearing the wrong clothes at the confirmation hearing now. Or, uh, you know, she's from a group that was inspired, uh, that inspired the Handmaid's Tale. All the stupid stuff that they go through. But they know the only thing they've really got, and they know they know it, and they've known it from the beginning. Is they have to say, "Well, this is going to defund Obamacare. We're, we're going to we're going to throw all these people off health insurance. We're going to defund Obamacare." And there's a reason for that because they know deep down the law is unconstitutional. They just passed, and by a thin margin, and it was only upheld by a five to four majority, not for the reasons they thought it should be upheld, but because John Roberts decided one. And I'm going to talk about this. Decided one thing. So she was asked. The difference between the judiciary and the Senate. Let me get to that. And she says, well, uh, the courts look at the Constitution. They look at all the precedent. The Senate, uh, the Congress, they just 
have policy. They're elected to do certain things, and so they're going to vote for legislation based on policy. They don't ever look at the Constitution. They don't ever look at precedent. They don't look at anything like that. All they simply do is say, I'm going to vote for me because I'm going to do this. And then when they get in, they pass that legislation, they draft legislation, and they do it. And she said, you know, if I was in the Congress, my position would be entirely different. If I was queen of the world, my position would be entirely different. But because I'm on the bench, because I'm a, a, a justice, an appellate court justice right now, and or potentially a Supreme Court justice, I have to do things differently. I have to look at the Constitution. I have to look at precedent. And that may lead me to a different conclusion than my policy directives would entail. Now, here is the big elephant in the room, the real problem with this position entirely. This is the exact same thing that the senators and the members of the House should be doing as well. In fact, if you go back to the very first Congress of the United States and then go through the congressional debates all the way up until about the 19th, middle of the 19th century, lo and behold, about the time the war takes place and the South loses, there were extensive discussions about constitutionality of bills as they were presented to the House and to the Senate. In fact, you had long debates about whether things were constitutional or not in the House and in the Senate. It wasn't just about policy. Well, is this thing going to insure people? Is it going to be too expensive? Is it going to do this? Is it going to do that? No. No. It was about whether the Constitution even authorizes us to pass this particular bill. You see, that's why modern congressional debates are so stupid and boring. Because they don't talk about this stuff anymore. It's just, well, the cost of this bill is going to be this. Well, that's too expensive. My state's going to get this. Or that, but I... We don't talk about constitutionality. Why? Because Congress, in all of its stupid wisdom, has decided to punt this responsibility to nine unelected judges. Nine unelected judges. Who can decide however they want to decide once they get to the bench? In fact, this was brought up too. Corwin said the same thing. Well, you know, when the people get on the bench, they often don't go the way that the person that appointed them, and that's been true for a long time. 200 plus years. Joseph's story, I think, is one of the best examples of that. In the early court, James Madison appointed story, and story turned out to be a complete disaster for real federalism. So what we have now, and what we're looking at, is a situation where you have, you know, uh, Dick Durbin sitting there saying, well, the Second Amendment only protects muzzle-loaded <laughs> weapons. I mean, this is just so stupid. It's just so stupid. But this is where people are. They know, the Democrats know, that their sacred cows are all unconstitutional. That you have to have a loose construction of the Constitution. That you have to read between the lines. That you have to simply ignore the Bill of Rights nine times out of ten to get their legislation across. That what they do is completely alien to the Constitution. You see, the Democrats on the left and the progressives on the right don't believe in constitutional restraint. So when you look at the bill, the things that are being addressed, all right, let's talk about the Affordable Care Act. Five to four decision upheld it. And I've said for years, now eight years that this thing has been in place, I said it as soon as it was, was a pass and then upheld by the courts, it didn't really matter. The bill is unconstitutional. Now, how do you nullify something that operates on individuals? That's the real key. 
But I think the states are trying to do it by just not forcing the mandate. They're not, they're not going into the state systems that were set up. They didn't do any of those things. So they essentially made it null and void. But there are parts of the bill that you can't. For example, uh, the state can't nullify the part where it says you, you have to accept pre-existing conditions. Well, this is not insurance now. This is coverage. So everyone has to have coverage. But they know that the only way this was upheld, that John Roberts was the swing vote, and the only way it was upheld, in fact, he basically said the entire bill is unconstitutional, except because the individual mandate is a tax. And because the Congress can tax, they can mandate what you have to do or pay the tax. That's the only way it was upheld. That was it. Now, that wasn't the way it was argued. In fact, it was, it was if you look at it, lock-solid unconstitutional. There's no way the Affordable Care Act is constitutional in any way whatsoever, except that one little part. And Roberts actually had to go back to it. He actually had the proponents of the bill in question argue before the court that that part of the, of the bill, which was the tax. Now, the unfortunate thing about that, which, I mean, people brought it up at the time, but it just got ignored, is that the Senate is actually the one that proposed that, and the Senate cannot propose taxes. That Those have to originate in the House. Well, the tax didn't originate in the House. It was added in the Senate. But, well, that's just a legal thing. That's just a technicality. No, it's part of the Constitution. So everyone knows on the left, and everyone knows on the right, that the Affordable Care Act is 100% unconstitutional. 100%. There is nothing about it. To con- now, is it? do people like the law? Sure. Do people like it that if you have pre-existing conditions, you're not going to be denied? Sure. This is why Trump has said over and over, I'm going to get you a bill that's going to have pre-existing conditions covered. When he was asked about it in some town hall debate, and the lady said, you know, are you going to? He said, sure. And then she over-talked him, and apparently he didn't answer the question. He did. He said, sure, we're going to cover pre-existing conditions. Something like that is going to happen. Okay, so that's what people like about it. Just like, I mean, you, you could say that Social Security is unconstitutional. Uh, all forms of federal welfare programs are unconstitutional. It doesn't mean people don't like these programs, and in fact, they'll vote to the death to keep them, but they're unconstitutional. You see, so we get into this issue of if we really have a constitution, if we have a constitution, then we need to pass constitutional legislation. What's really at stake here is, as always, is federalism. Because there's nothing saying the state of Massachusetts can't have an Obamacare law. In fact, they had it. Romney care. The, uh, the state of California can't have socialized medicine. The state of Alabama can't have socialized medicine. There's nothing stopping any of that except the people of those states who want it or don't want it. That's the only thing stopping any of this. But the center can't do it. We have this thing called the Constitution, and if we're going to have a court that's going to interpret the Constitution the way it was ratified, which is where the left gives bonkers, oh my gosh, if we do that, we're going to lose all our legislation, because they know, they know that what they're doing is unconstitutional. They know the founders wouldn't have agreed with any of this other nonsense. They wouldn't have agreed with federal gun control, They wouldn't have agreed with the Affordable Care Act. They wouldn't have done any of that stuff because they didn't. The other one, of course, is Roe v. Wade. And the missing link in all this is that what this really did is knock down federalism. Because if that that 
decision was overturned, well, the states would go back to doing what they did before. They had complete control over this issue, and it is a state issue. This is not a federal issue. It's not a central authority issue. It's a state issue. So you would still have some states that would continue the practice, continue the practices under Roe v. Wade, and others that wouldn't. Others would get rid of this stuff. So you would go back to a federal structure in the United States. You see, what is at stake is federalism. Gun control. The states have complete control over firearm regulation. The central authority has no control over firearm regulation. They can't. It's unconstitutional. I've argued many times that federal gun control laws are unconstitutional. All of them. They cannot disarm the population. Now, they can arm the population. They could say, everyone has to have this firearm. Everyone should do this. Everyone should carry this much ammunition. They can do that. But they cannot disarm the population. And by saying you cannot have certain firearms, you're disarming the population. But the missing link in that, again, <clears throat> is the state. Because the state you live in can say, okay, yeah, the federal government can't deny it. But you know what? You can't own a nuclear missile. You can't own a tank. You can't own an, uh, an F-22 Raptor. You can't own these things. These are things that you're not allowed to have personally. We can decide if you can have a machine gun. We can decide uh, you know, if you can have a cannon. But we know up until the early 20th century, this wasn't even contemplated. Because you could go into military surplus magazines and buy a howitzer. You want a howitzer to annoy your neighbor? You live out in the middle of the plain somewhere and you want, bam, fire your howitzer off. Hey, you can do it all day. You could have done that up until we get to about the point of the middle of the 20th century. Uh, and so you could do all that stuff. So we know that this all came about because people were centralizing power in D.C., but unconstitutionally doing it. You see, it's the dirty little secret behind all of this. The left knows. They know. 100% that what they believe in and what they do is unconstitutional. The Constitution is a hindrance to what they want to do. Same thing with the progressive right, if you look at some of the things they want to do. What the Constitution is intended to do or what they want to do violates the basic understanding of the Constitution as ratified, which James Wilson made clear in October of 1787. If it says you can't do it, for the central authority, you can't do it. The states can do everything else. Everything which is not listed is, is reserved to the states. I mean, so just because, I mean, basically the state constitution is an unlimited grant of power to the central authority. But in the central government, it's the exact opposite. If it says we can't do it, if it doesn't say we can do it, I'm sorry, we can't do it. These are grants of power. Those are the only grants of power that are given, and that's that. The states have complete control of this. So what you're getting now is... The, the progressive right, the Democrats, all these people are running around scared that their sacred cows are going to get slaughtered. And they're going to get slaughtered because they know they're unconstitutional. Now, if we had a real Senate and a real House of Representatives that debated the constitutionality of a bill, not just because they think it's good and we're going to pass it, but because they need to think about these things, and we would have a lot more emphasis on our states. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wouldn't be able to stand up and say, the subways are leaking in New York City. What are we going to do about it in Congress? Absolutely nothing. Shut up and go back to New York and run in New York and go figure out what you're going to do there. That's what somebody should say to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Stop running your mouth in the U.S. Congress 
about stuff that's unconstitutional. If you want to fix New York, go back to New York. Go run for mayor of New York City. Go get rid of the communists that's sitting in the, in the uh, executive mansion there doing videos where he's stupidly wearing a mask and all those things. Go get rid of that moron and go and take care of the leaking subways in New York City. That's where your real power is. That's what you should be doing. Don't worry about Congress doing these things because you know what? Congress is not constituted to do that. There's no money there or authority to handle leaking subways in New York City. It's just stupid. But this is where what would happen ultimately if we really had a Congress that debated the constitutionality of bills and if they had a firm understanding of what the Constitution meant, 99% of the stuff they propose wouldn't even get funded because it would be unconstitutional. And the court would have very little to do except in the rare case that the Congress did pass something that was unconstitutional, they could overturn that. But you see, what's happened is we have a state model now foisted onto the general government. And the states... The states pass all kinds of legislation and then the because they can, they can pass anything. And then the state courts have to sort it all out and say, well, is this really constitutional or not? As long as it doesn't violate the Bill of Rights in the states, well, I mean, they can do just about anything they want. That's the real question. Does it violate the Bill of Rights in the states? So all of these issues, all these things she's getting hit with, it's all because the progressive left and right understand that at the end of the day, their entire agenda is built on sand. It's not built on the bedrock of the Constitution. It's not built on real federalism. It's built on a loose construction, reading between the lines. And anyone that doesn't agree with that, they know, whoops, we don't really have any constitutional legs. I mean, when Nancy Pelosi stood up with the Affordable Care Act and she was asked, is this constitutional? Well, of course it's constitutional. I say it is. How dare you even ask me this question? You got to read what's in the, you got to pass the bill before you can see what's in the bill. This is Joe Biden. You got to elect me before I tell you what I think on packing the court. I mean, they really think that people are stupid. Well, I mean, their, their voters generally are, but they really think people are stupid otherwise. Got to elect us before you can see what's in the bill. It's just during the Roosevelt administration when they passed a rolled-up newspaper during the New Deal. Just passed a rolled-up newspaper, and then they wrote the, wrote the bill later. But we passed it, so it's in. You see, there still were people that talked about the Constitution even then, but by that point, they were getting steamrolled because of politics. If you centralize everything in D.C., everything becomes politics. It just becomes a big state where you don't have any representation, really where New York City subway leaking matters as much in Alabama as it does in New York City, which is stupid. But this is what we have when you create the United States of America instead of these United States. Judge Barrett is a threat, potentially. I'm not saying she is going to rule one way or the other, but she is a potential threat to this loose construction, as if she is a real originalist. Now, she says she's a textualist and an originalist, and I find fault with that. I've talked about this before, where textualism and originalism actually butt heads. If she's both, well, um, the, the jury's still out on how good she's going to be. But regardless, she is a real threat, a threat, potentially, to this loose construction, this monstrosity that's been foisted on the United States by centralization. 
and the left knows it. And the left knows that the only thing they have are the courts because everything they pass, everything they want, is in violation of the Constitution. That's why they don't care about the Constitution. It doesn't even matter to them. They only use it as a weapon when they think it can work in their favor, which it never really does. Because most of what they want to do is not constitutional. All right, so I wanted to say that all of these things that we're talking about, it's all about federalism. It's all about state powers. It all goes back to that. This is what's at stake. If we had a court that would start undoing all of this stuff, well, then all these things would devolve back to the states, and you would have to start paying more attention to your state legislatures again, which would be great. Of course, the politics of the day aren't going to allow that because you're just going to have the left running around saying, well, we need to, we need to pack the court now so we can centralize everything again. We should be resisting this at all costs, resisting that kind of stupidity. Speaking out against it, it's idiotic. It's tyranny of the majority, and it's no good. It's the 50 plus 1% telling the other 50% what they can and can't do. On both sides, this is why federalism really works, because you actually create real political communities of like-minded people. Diversity in those communities works well, because you know what works in Alabama may not work in California and vice versa. So diversity actually works in that way. All right. That's it for this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I will see you next time for the next one. See you then.